Hey, welcome! Thanks for tuning in! This is There's Something About Artists, a podcast where I discuss with experts and industry leaders about the many sides of the artists industry. I'm your host, Federico Biancullo. I am an artist artist, founder of The Big Picture, blogger and content creator in the field of architectural representation. I'm on a journey to learn more on all things about art base, art direction, business, technology, you name it. And I would like you to be a part of this journey as well. Through these conversations, my hope is to bring light to not so obvious topics connected to our industry and help you grow as a professional, as an artist, and why not, as a human being as well. So please join me. Without further ado, let's jump into this episode of There's Something About Art Beats. So, here we are, ready for another round. Welcome to season two of There's Something About Artbeats. You know, writing the intro bit for this new season took me much longer than I expected. I felt long and hard where and how to talk about what's going on in the world right now. And to be honest, I still am, I'm still debating. After all, all I do is running a podcast. I'm trying to entertain and educate people. So what's my responsibility as a content creator towards the Arcvis community? And to be honest, I thought that the best thing that I can do now is just keep doing what I was doing before. So finding interesting topics, bringing them to the podcast and stick to this. So at least I try to distract you and myself as well from the news, from what's going on and from the uncertainty of days coming. Of course, my thoughts are all the time with all people who are suffering due to this conflict. And that's it. There's plenty of people in our small community who are actually trying to give a concrete aid. And I strongly encourage you to check them out and join the effort if you can, as they're very active with various acts of support. But let's move on. This season starts with another topic that it's it's very dear to me. As some of you may already know, before starting my journey in Arcvis as a solo studio, I spent some time working as an in-house Arcvis artist for the Dutch firm Meccano. And despite the fact that in-house Arcvis artists are a huge part of our industry, they don't often get the recognition they deserve. In-house Arcvis artists work closely with architects. It's basically like having your clients in the same room as you. So the kind of filters and barriers that Arcvis firms put in place are a hundred times more difficult to raise. Expectations in architecture offices are very high. In-house artists get a lot of pressure upon their shoulders, but in most cases they don't have the possibility to work at the pace or with the conditions that Arcvis firms would enforce. I discussed this and much more with Francisco Tirado, visual manager at Copenhagen-based firm Kobe. Our talk was extremely insightful. Fran has a lot of experience not only in working in-house, but also as a freelancer and as an employee of a world-renowned artist studio like Pixel Flakes. All of experience and his love for the design process made him the ideal professional to cover the role of in-house artist, which is something that nowadays I wouldn't really recommend to newcomers in the industry. In this episode, we discuss his background, how he wins the trust of the design team when doing images, and how he manages their expectations. And we also discussed how to detach yourself emotionally from the work that you do in order to keep your mental health in such a fast-paced work environment. I'm sure you'll enjoy this episode a lot, so I'll leave you to it. Here's my conversation with Fran. You were saying that you are based in Copenhagen. Yes. And how long have you been there? I have been in Copenhagen. In September, I will do four years. I came uh, directly 
to work at Kobe. I was working before as a freelance in Lithuania. And uh, I just decided that uh, my freelance time was kind of over and I wanted to, to join to a company. And it's not like I was looking for a job because by the time I was working by myself and I was doing really well. I had my small home studio and I was doing images for international offices. So I was doing well, but in the last year I got involved in a project in Saudi Arabia. I was working with an engineering company and they needed the images plus art direction on the project because it's an engineering company. Of course, they have architects, but they, they were at the very beginning of a process and the, the way they work is kind of rigid. So until they have a design that they can visualize and show to a client, it's a long process, but they needed something fast. And I think uh, visual artists, we kind of click in that role perfectly because we can come up with ideas and just kind of uh, put them into an image and then they can use those images into meetings or uh, trying to pitch the project or like for a lot of a lot of uh, purpose and it's not like a technical drawing it's mostly a feeling so i got involved in that project and then i realized okay this is something else that what i did before you know i wasn't getting a 3d and doing the images i was involved into the design then was when i thought okay so actually i might be good if i work in-house and then kobe that just by, by coincidence i saw this job offer of kobe into ronen beckerman website and i applied and they told me that uh, no <laughs> they actually they actually declined my, Plot my twist. <laughs> yes and i was like okay whatever so i continued working but a few months later i received a call from denmark and they say that they were again interested in my portfolio and they asked me if i could uh, go to copenhagen to have an interview so actually they by the time you know it, it was funny because they told me no and I got really busy. I got a lot of projects to do. So I was like, okay, whatever. They told me no, but actually I'm super busy. So it's not a big deal. I wonder why they told you no at the time. They were looking for somebody, of course, clearly there was a job add up. But was evaluating portfolios of visualizers at the moment. I think they had no internal visual artists. Am I right? Mm -hmm. What was actually evaluating your portfolio? It was an architect who was doing images, but he wasn't full time doing images. He was most of the time doing images, but also working as an architect. And they needed someone to work full-time as a visual artist. They probably got someone, but I don't know, maybe didn't work well, or I don't know. So a few months later, I received this call. They flew me to Copenhagen for three days, and I went to, to the office. I like it. We got an agreement. Three months later, I, I was at Copenhagen. It took me three, four months because actually I had to close all the projects I was doing. And uh, that was actually kind of painful because I was doing pretty well and I had so many projects. And, you know, to say to a customer who already trusts you, you know, I was working with them for two years. It was kind of sad, but also I wanted to change my life because, you know, I, I was living in Lithuania, but I am from Spain. And I was living alone, just working by myself at home. 
It's like working from home before Corona, you know. But why Lithuania, by the way? You explained to me that the taxation is quite convenient in those countries in the Baltic republics. But why Lithuania specifically? Did you have any ties there? Did you have any recommendation or any friends? Because that's a quite a, a specific choice, I think. Yes, I did my Erasmus in Lithuania in 2010. And then I loved the country. I totally love it. And uh, I, I like it a lot. And then I came back to do my internship. And actually, doing my internship in Lithuania is when I started doing images for first time ever. I started working in competitions in the office. Uh, it's an office called uh, BAS in Vilnius. And I remember one of the architects, I couldn't do any documentation or even drawings. Had to be with text in Lithuanian that I have no clue of the language. And then was a guy, he was uh, really good doing images. And he kind of told me, Fran, do you want to do the images for our project? Said, of course. And then I just started. I did those images. It was kind of fun. And then I came back to Spain. But in the moment I graduated, I came back to Lithuania and I started working in that office again as a, as a visual artist full time. It was kind of like I had to go to that country because also in two, this was in 2013. Back then in Spain, the economical crisis was still like on the peak. It was no jobs for architects and uh, basically I had nothing to do and I had nothing to lose neither. So why not? So I went to Lithuania and I started over there. And you were well off as a freelancer, you, you were saying to me, you, you had a lot of projects. How did you build your network where you were there? It was, you know, when I moved to Lithuania, before I worked to this office, actually, I was looking for a job. I needed anything, you know, I was desperate. I needed a job. So I started working as a, as a phone operator in a company and I was working at night, calling to customers in the US because I speak Spanish. So I was just dealing with Spanish speakers in the US. But during, during the daytime, I started sending my portfolio to small offices in buildings. And some of them, they offered to me like to pay me to do the images for them. So I say, why not? So in Lithuania, to become a freelancer is quite easy. You basically have to go to the tax office and sign a document and that's it. You are a freelancer. So I did that and I quit my job in the call center and I started doing images. And then I put an advert in a website in Lithuania and a small offices from Lithuania, they started to call me and just I was getting one project here, one project there. And I believe the, the world just ran, you know, it's, Vilnius is a very small city. And so most of the architects know each other. And, uh, and yeah, I was just, con I continued doing the images. And then I created a website. It's a website that I still have nowadays, but I just created in 2000, it was 2014. And I started putting images. Uh, slowly, I, I built this customer base and uh, it worked really well to the point where the office where I worked uh, in Lithuania, they actually wanted to hire me as a full time. And uh, I stayed there for one year, almost two years. And I, I was learning a lot. And it's when I started doing competitions and doing visualizations for big projects. And, uh, and then I got hired by Pixel Flakes in London. And I think this is the turning point, you know, it's like 
suddenly I got uh, to a place where, I mean, the projects I was doing in Lithuania, they were quite good. I was doing schools, uh, uh, public buildings. But, you know, when I got to Pixel Flakes, it was a different scale. So it was like huge projects with a lot of responsibility. And, uh, and, and also in the office where I was in Lithuania, I was alone. And then I went to this office and we were like 10 artists. The change is dramatic because you are like from being alone and don't having nobody who to ask anything. Suddenly you have 10 seniors around you. It was amazing. Uh, the art director of Pixel Flakes, Matthew Reid. I mean, the guy was a machine. I was like, this guy is so good. And I was like every day learning so much that I was going home like shocked every single day. The learning was huge. It's quite unique what you said to me. Uh, you've basically seen it all. You've seen the profession from all sides. You've been a freelancer and a quite successful one as well. You work for one of the most renowned artist offices in the world. And now you're working as an in-house artist, as a visual manager for Kobe. So you've been also, you are at the moment, uh, an in-house visual artist. So you've, you've basically seen the, the industry from all perspectives. My initial question to you was to ask you what's the difference between being a freelancer and being an in-house artist. But I will also ask you to make a difference between being a freelancer as an in-house artist and also as an artist for a company like Pixel Flakes. I would say the freelance time was divided in two. Was the first time I started as a freelancer from zero without knowledge of anything. And then I had my second time as a freelancer after Pixel Flakes. So in London, I mean, learned so much. But uh, London wasn't for me. It's a, it's a huge city and I need to, personally, I need to live in a city kind of relaxed. So yeah, just my, for my personal taste. So I quit and I moved to Lithuania again. And I started to freelancing again. But this time was very different. I already did a year of freelancing, almost two years in-house visual artist. Also like, uh, I think it was like six months in a visualization studio and then freelancing again. But this time was different because I already, I already knew a lot of people and I already worked in a lot of projects. So it wasn't like at the beginning, starting from zero. I already kind of had an idea of the market, prices, like how to deal with customers. What I did is I took like four months off. During four months, I didn't work. I, I would not say I didn't work. I didn't produce images, but I worked a lot. I actually started reading books about finance, how to deal with the customers, how to prepare contracts, how to deal with all the legal aspect of running a business. And it's complicated. It's very complicated. It's like uh, to do good images is one thing that we kind of assume. In order to succeed as a freelancer, as a default, you have to do good images. That's it. But then it's all the business side, which is really difficult. And it takes so much time. Yeah, yeah, I agree 100%. The good images are kind of a given, especially nowadays that it, it is very easy with the tools that we have to produce decent images. But the difference is on the relationship that you can manage to build with your own clients, uh, with your own network. I think it makes a world of difference, especially when you're a solo artist like you were. Exactly. Uh, and you know, many people, when they decide to go on their own, I'm not saying as a critic, but it's something that they don't have it clear, you know, like I have had conversation with friends of mine who wanted to go on his own. And I always say, it's okay, man, you as an artist, you are awesome. But dude, seriously, take it easy and read because it's a huge, 
effort. Then, you know, uh, I have been listening to your podcast and I'm like you. I'm a kind of introvert guy. And for me, it's not easy to deal with customers and to, you know, business people are the way they are. If you, let's say you are a good guy, you are a good artist, you love your work. But at the same time, the market is big and you don't know with who you are going to deal. Uh, you might deal with people who maybe they want to take advantage of you or maybe they want to squeeze as much as they can from you. And to learn to deal with them take a lot of time, practice and effort. Also, learning how to manage the conversation with a client that is probably the most important part. When you're an artist, you also need to manage the process of communicating your ideas and understand what the client's looking for. As artists, we are often very convinced about our idea on how an image looks like and we lose sight on how the project should look like for the goal of the client. That's probably very difficult as a freelancer when you don't have somebody else that tells you, look, the client's looking for something else. Maybe you should go try another way for that image. Nah, but let's go back on track and let's go to your experience at Kobe. You went from a state that you were a solo artist, then you joined a team of 10 artists with a lot of seniors. Then you went against freelancers and eventually you stepped into an architecture office, which is a completely different environment. I also have a background as an in-house visualization artist. I was at Meccano for about one year and a half, I think. So I kind of understood what's going on in architecture offices when it comes to visuals. You've been there for way longer than me, of course. But what are the main differences that you saw between working at Kobe's an architecture office and being a freelancer? I think there's huge differences, but I think it's good to let people understand what are those differences. When I joined Kobe, I already had some experience as an in-house uh, visual artist. So I was like, I kind of I kind of knew we were similar. Of course, the size of the company is different, but kind of similar process. And the, the most significant, I will say, is that you have to understand that now you are part of a team. You are in a design team and you are not a freelancer. Let's say when you are working by yourself, your only task is to make sure that the images are at its best. But when you are in a firm, you get in touch with the project way before. I know the project from the very beginning. I have seen pinups. I have seen how the design evolved. And by the time the project gets to my table, I have been already thinking about the project for a month or even more, you know. So I have been looking at it, talking with the architects, getting wet of the project. I think that you can also gather a lot of time to to draw references from those ideas. You usually get the project at a very late stage. So probably references gathering is the most, it's a crucial part, but a very short process. While when you're in an architecture office, probably you can start already gathering references and also getting references from the office itself. Yes. And also sometimes you don't even have to do the work because the project team will do it for you. So they will prepare a booklet of reference of what they like or what they think the, the images should be. And because we have been together for a while, they know what I need. They know what kind of images do I need as a reference. And I know as well what they want to show. So after a while, it's kind of a, a symbiotic relationship. So you still have very tight deadlines. In an office like Kobe, where we do a lot of competitions, deadlines are always tight. Because uh, no matter what, the projects can be always better. And we cannot close a design like three weeks before the deadline. For sure, we have things to improve. Then as a visual artist in-house, you have to deal with that. So you have to live 
with a work that you know is going to be tight. But because you have been doing it for a long time, it's like a, a sniper approach. You have one bullet and then you just go for it. You have to trust yourself and most of the time it works because, as I say, we have been doing it so many times. That's it. This is what we have. That's it. This is what we deliver. And they, and they are happy. Your production is also a very high quality production. I think I was seeing, I was looking at some of your images. I suppose they were yours. It's studio-like production. There's no differences between an image that you produced in-house from an image that any other visualization studio could have produced. I mean, really good studios, not average studios, honestly. Um, I think this is really hard when you are working with architects. I had the impression in my short time at Meccano that the most difficult thing to achieve when you work as an in-house artist is getting the trust of the people that you're working with, getting trust from the architects, being trusted that you can deliver the right kind of image for the project that you're on. So what was your first impression of working with architects under this aspect? Especially in the first few days, did you ever felt that your expertise was kind of dismissed, that they were not considering carefully your ideas, not listening to you? Yes, at the beginning, you know, this is still a work in progress. It never ends. But for instance, when I joined Kobe, they don't know me. They don't know who I am. They don't know my background. They don't know anything. The human resources of the company knows who I am, but the project manager don't have a clue. It's like, it's this guy. It is, he's coming here to do our damages for us. We don't know how he works. And, you know, the architects at Kobe, before we establish our team, they have been using uh, high-end companies of visualization. They use Mir, they use Beauty and the Beat, they use the best offices of visualization that offer the best service, and they expect from you the same. But you are alone, <laughs> you, you, are, uh, you are only one man, and uh, you are sitting there, and you think, how can I compete with Mir, no? This was at the very beginning, and uh, they expect from you to deliver the same service. And that for me was extremely hard. It's like, I don't have time. I cannot do the sketches as Mir did. I, I couldn't. It's like, I cannot do the same. But slowly we get to know each other. Okay, my work, I work in a slightly different way. So this is the way we work. At the beginning, they are quite resistant. If they get used to work with a company, they want you to do the same. But you cannot do the same. You are in-house. You have to explain them. Like, listen... A company have five, six, ten, uh, how many employees, and they can pull in three days a lot of work. I cannot do it. I have my eight hours per day, so I have to, I have to deal with what they have. But uh, slowly you get to work. They like what you do. They see that the images are succeed. They win a few competitions, and uh, slowly they cannot trust your voice and what you have to say. And then the magic happens. Because when you start doing projects with them and, and more and more and more and they see that you are actually doing a good work and they like, you understand each other, you understand what they want, you understand the project, it gets to the point when sometimes, uh, and you know, this is the dream of a visual artist. It gets to the point that sometimes we deliver the images and we have no comments. That's it. <laughs> we have one round, like we deliver and it's final. And this is like... <laughs> It's a dream, you know, you don't have to do changes. 
You see, it always boils down to relationship, to how you manage the relationship with people and how good you are at understanding the people that surround you, that work with you. While you were talking, I was wondering something. What was the turning point? Do you remember any specific moment or project that the magic happened and you you felt like, okay, that's it. I'm I'm getting somewhere with these people. I'm getting to understand them and they're getting to understand me. Yes, there is a time with a date on it. Uh, I mean, this was evolving, no? From the very beginning, it was evolving. And uh, I was really happy because I could see a path, you know, okay, this is getting better and better and better. But last year, I won the Architizer One Rendering Challenge. And somehow, this was like something in my office. And from them, they just believe what they say. So it's like when I work, they just agree. Of course, sometimes I have to do changes, all this stuff, no, but it's not always like that. But it kind of, you win the respect of the architects. And then everything went very easy. So the magic happened when you won the Architizer One Rendering Competition. That's quite strange. I'm quite curious that it took an external award to be recognized, to, to change the perspective. And any competition that you won at the office that you felt that was also a big step for you? Any, of course, any competition that you can tell that is public? At Kobe, we do a lot of competitions. We are specialized into that. Most of it, we don't win it, but we do a lot of competitions and, and we win many as well. And, you know, now you are touching a, a topic which is like sensitive because when we do competitions, I cannot try to detach myself of the competition because if we do competitions and I get attached to the images and to the project and we lose it, you know, it cannot drag you down. So when I do images, I forget about the project. 100%. I don't even talk about this project anymore in my life unless we win it. Then when we win, I feel proud, but I also have this approach of it's nice, we won it, but my target right now is the project where I'm working now. So I don't get to enjoy too much the project and neither I think that the office doing the images for winning projects. It's not like you will win respect for people. I don't think so. I mean, of course, the staffing are happy because the work that you do is actually bringing projects to the office. But uh, I don't think it will impact into your reputation or it might help to some people. But we know that we do projects, we win. At the same time, we can lose. That's it. It's part of the game. Otherwise, we will get crazy, no? Yeah, to get too emotionally attached to your work is not very good. I mean, artistry is all about emotions, but when you work in an architecture office, you cannot get too involved in one project, especially an office like yours that is so into competitions. No, I, I completely understand, honestly, Frank. And, but going back to the trust topic, if we were to go into the specifics of getting to a point that you trust the designers and the designers trust you, is there anything that you learned on how to communicate with the teams, with the people, with the project leaders in your office? Yes. For instance, I do a lot of drafting. Sometimes talking is not enough. I tell them it's fine, everything is okay, I'm working on the project, I'm working in this 3D, but the project managers are like, they need to see it. So the way I personally try to win the trust of a project manager is to keep them updated with what I do. Not necessarily asking feedback from them. I'm just saying, look, come to my desk. I will show you how is going the project. I have this and that. I have prepared these cameras. I think for this view, we should go for this mood or for that one because it highlights some aspect of the project. 
And you know, when you have this conversation with the project manager in front of the computer, showing them the progress, the draft, the super low resolution image with five polygons, just that they are like satisfied. It's like, okay, good. I know that you were looking hard. I know that you already have something. Uh, and we know that you know what are you doing. And then I will, I will send them those, for example, if I do some draft, I just send them to them. By draft, I'm talking about really rough images. But they have it and they can place it already in their panels and they can play with it. So they have an idea that everything you talk is already materialized. On is being, at the moment, is being materialized. Then they, they are kind of happy and they, they kind of trust you because we have done, of course, many, many projects. So slowly you get to win their trust. And also, you know, when we, we visual artists, we see a draft, we can see beyond, no, because we have done, so, we have done it so many times. And sometimes, you know, if I show a draft to, to my sister, to my little sister, she don't see nothing. She see five colors. She don't understand what the shape is. And I tell her, oh, but that's a tree. And she's like, oh, but it doesn't look like a tree. Uh, yeah, believe me, it's a tree. In your head, you see a tree, but she doesn't. But you know, with the architects, at the end, architects are people who, who have also a special vision, no? And they can imagine things. So when they have been working with you for a while and you show them that draft, they will have the same vision as you have. So they will be able to see the image before it's done. And then they get relaxed. <laughs> it's like, okay, I like it. I like the colors. I like the depth. The sketching process, the drafting process is very effective and very clear. The more drafts the architects see, the, the more relaxed they are. They don't want surprises. Architects are routine-based creatures, so they, they want to be comfortable with the information they get. But I was thinking something else now. Did it ever happen to you that the architect or project leader in the project that you've been in, has lost focus on what was important to show on a, on a project, on a, on a competition. And it was very hard to bring them on the right track with the images. For example, sometimes architects use images to show the most they can of a project. And when this happens, it's very difficult to steer the idea of the architect and tell them probably, look, it's better that we do three images instead of one that shows the whole project with a 16 millimeters camera. How do you deal with this? Did it ever happen to you? Yes, it happened. Uh, at the end, the architect is a person who is dealing with a stress situation. They have to deliver their project in a short time. And sometimes they cannot get focused in one idea. And in the moment you get to the project, you think, oh, but this doesn't work. I think this image will not show the project as it should be. But this person has been working in the project for, for a while and they get this tunnel vision. And to get them out from them is very hard. It's very, very hard. The only way, in my experience, the only way I have to remove this idea from the head of this person is to doing the extra image that I think it works the best. Because until they don't see it, they will not listen to you. And you still will have to do the image they want because they, you know, they have to see it. It happened in-house and it happened to freelancers. It's the same. It's like how to convince a person that what they want is not actually what they need. It takes a lot of effort and uh, basically you have to do double work. But I can really tell that you've been freelancing and working for a high-end artist firm because this is basically the same way that we use to convince a client of our idea. The extra images, 
the drafts so it's it's the same way and this is very interesting people that join an architecture office as a first experience as artists artists they miss all this part and that's probably why I'm not so sure. Well, once I used to recommend people to uh, work in us for architects as a good starting point for a career in Arcvis, but nowadays, you know, I'm not so sure about that because you miss a lot of tricks of the trade, tools of the trade. You miss all this part that is very important. And working in house as architects, I think, could be the end of a path, you know? When you've gathered a lot of experience that you've built in the years of working on images and you can actually bring some kind of art direction, some kind of expertise to the office that, you know, nowadays there are so many architecture offices that are starting to build their own in-house teams and they all work in a different way. But the most frequent thing that I see is people that they don't have a real background working in Arvis, that's people fresh out from schools, also from Arvis schools, but they don't really have, despite they've, they've been educated as Arvis artists, these schools don't educate people on how to actually work on an Arvis project. What do you think about this? Because that's what I wanted to ask you. Would you recommend that for people starting a career in Arvis? I probably won't anymore. I changed my mind in time. I actually, I think the same as you. I, for a while I thought about that, but nowadays I think... To be an in-house uh, artist is a very sharp knife, you know? You have to hold it carefully because it can cut you. It can cut you really hard. Uh, let's say, if you join as a visual artist to an office, most probably you don't have nobody to ask anything. You don't have uh, any person, you don't have a senior to ask why my 3D Max is crashing. You know, I have a deadline tomorrow, but I don't know how to set up a pass in Corona. And you're like, or, you know, you're seeing in your 3D file, there is a element that is making your file crash. And you don't know, and you don't have nobody to ask. And I think the amount of stress you can get as a person who is new to the business in-house, the amount of stress that you can gather is, is huge. It's very big. So I think as a starting point, you will be way better if you join to a visualization studio. So you get to learn from professionals and you get to understand how to do the images, but also how to deal with customers, how to deal with architects, all the technical side, how to deal with the programs, how to install, how to how to uninstall, how to update. It's not easy. I mean, I remember times where to update Forest Pack was a, like a, a risk game. You know, it's like my Forest Pack for today, for tomorrow, stop, stop working. And just because the new date, uh, something messed up and it's like, oh, I have a deadline tomorrow, you know, it, all these things, you know, you have to learn with practice. And if you're in house, basically you don't have nobody. To. Different is that you get, for example, at Kobe, we have three people doing images and we are two seniors. In a way, we work as a visualization studio inside a company, you know, so you have someone to ask. Uh, we have an intern. She came to our office with zero knowledge before being our intern. She never opened through this Max before. Now she's doing images on her own, but it's because we teach her, you know. Then I have a provoking question for you. If it's so difficult to be an artist artist into an architecture office, it's difficult to get the trust of the architects. It's it probably it's difficult also to grow on the artistic side. Then why would you join? an architecture office instead of joining a visualization company. So what makes it worth it? Because in my case, I love the design process. I really love 
seeing the project evolve. And I also like to be part of the team from the very beginning. I, it's not like I have five weeks to do the images. I usually I have a very short time to do the images, but I will go to the meetings. I will be involved in all the, let's say, on the design process. I, I will be there quiet, but sometimes I have an opinion, you know. As a visual artist, maybe, you know, I haven't studied the program of the building. I don't know if they need 30 chairs or, I don't know, or five rooms. I don't know. But I can tell already by the volumetry, I can tell that this is beautiful or it's not, you know. I know nothing about the projects. I just talk about aesthetics. And this is something that visual artists, we are good at, you know. We can tell right away if a project is going to be nice or bad. You said something really important here, you know. Not all companies that hire artists artists in-house, not all architecture companies treat them the same way. As I was mentioning before, Architecture companies have a, a very broad and diverse idea of artists artists. You can have architecture companies that have an internal office, architecture companies like Kobe that has a couple of artists and they are very involved in the process. So I think the important thing to tell people here is that not all architecture companies look for the same things in an artist artist. So you've been, well, not lucky because you, you were actually looking for that and you stayed because of that reason, because you were involved in the process. But not all companies, not all architecture companies involve their artists in the process. So that's very important to understand, to investigate the company that you want to work at. So I think that's, that's very interesting and something that is, could be really useful to young artists that want to work for an architecture company. I want to go a step back here, actually, and let's go back to the images that you deliver to to the project leaders and to the architects. What do, in general, people in your office expect from an image? Oh, the expectations at Kobe are high, very high. You know, Kobe is a big studio. And when we compete, we compete with the best offices of Scandinavia and the best offices, basically, of Europe. In order to, to be able to win those competitions, we have to deliver the best we can. We are going to be against visualization studios doing high-end visualizations for our competitors. So the expectations are very high. But this is something, this is something I learned from my, from my freelance time. As I told you before, I, I have this mindset of I completely detach from my work and from my circumstances. I just, you know, head down, do the work and go home. No stress. I don't start thinking about what the others are going to deliver or how my images are worse than them. I do what I can in the time I have, and that's it. They're happy, so it's okay. Is this something that you learn to do in time? Artists are usually very involved in the process, in the image they do. They have difficulties in detaching themselves from the quality of their work. So I think your case is is quite unique. Uh, did you learn to do that, to detach yourself? Was it a process or was it natural to you? It's something, uh, Federico, I, I listened to your podcast about the burnout and being, uh, being like overwhelmed by the work, you know, like. Yeah, yeah, it was the special episode of the season. Yeah, the first exactly. season. Exactly. You know, Federico, I went exactly through the same. You can't imagine how many people wrote me, not, not really after the podcast, but after the, um, after the talk that I did at D2 online last year in 2021. And there's a lot of people, even big people in the industry that told me, yeah, I've been through the same thing. So it's, it's quite common in the industry. What you reach is quite unique. I think it's, it would be pretty useful to tell people how to reach that kind of Zen mindset, you know? <laughs> so in 2018, I even remember the date. 
in the spring 2018, I reached a point where the things you described in the last podcast, Federico, I was going one by one exactly the same. Like I was listening to your podcast thinking, oh my God, <laughs> it's totally the same. And many, like you say, many artists in our industry have gone through. Uh, and in that moment, I was totally overworked. I was like uh, obsessed with the quality of my work. No, obsessed. I wanted to do more, to do better, to do it faster. I got to the point where uh, I stopped seeing my friends. I stopped going out because I just wanted to be as good as possible. And then I understood, okay, this is this is a no-go. It's important. I cannot live a life like this. This is my profession and I want to be able to do it as long as possible. Then I, I got also some help. I, I read some books and then I get to this, uh, I read this book. It's about how to systemize anything you do, to create systems. And uh, then I started to do my work as a system. For example, I did uh, uh, my library. I ordered really well. Then emails, I systemized the emails. I Everything I could, I systemized. So I will save time per day. And one of them was this thing of detachment. Treat your work as a product that you are doing. Uh, of course, I, I love my work. And sometimes I think this image is my baby. But inside me, I thought, Frank, you do it for a customer. He pay for you for to do this image. That's it. And there has to end. Because if I keep thinking about the image and I go back and I try to make it better, I try to improve it for my portfolio, it's like a ping pong, you know, it never finish. And then you multiply this every week because you are producing more images and the amount of work that you have, the extra work that you have to do is exponential. So then I decided, okay, Frank, I want to do this as long as possible as my profession. I want to really live into this because I love it. I know that what I'm going to say is kind of controversial, but this is the way I keep doing it until now. I see myself as a factory. I produce images in a factory way. Now, behind the factory, there is the thinking part. And I progress and I learn about composition, artistic approach. I think it's controversial when you don't specify those things. Exactly. Factory, I think I'll try to formulate this factory in the sense that there's a system that helps you producing these images. And the system is backed up by your artistic knowledge and your knowledge of relationship and management of people. Exactly. It's not a cold factory. It's a factory that behind there is the knowledge and the things that you learn, the more personal part. But I don't let that thing influence my work. You know, factory in the sense like I get to the office at nine, I start working and at five I leave. And by that day, I have done everything I have to do. I don't start thinking, oh, this is better, it should be better. No, 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 I just, I just do it. It's backed up by the things I have done before. So I have had junior artists helping me sometimes. For example, last year I had one, and I remember this person get to the point where he didn't know how to make the image better. He was like, I don't know what to do in this image to make it better. And I told him, you cannot do nothing. You can change the contrast, the, the curve, the, the colors. But the image is the image. The only thing that you can do to make this image better is to jump to the next and keep learning and just do it again. Don't get very attached to one thing. Keep changing and evolving and evolving iterations, iterations, iterations. And it, it cannot make you free. It sets you free because then you don't get obsessed with what you do. I do it. 
it's not me. This is me today. I, I do. And now it's out there, somewhere <laughs> in the universe. All of this connects to the last question that I wanted to ask you, because believe it or not, we are almost at the end of our conversation. Development. Developing as, a, as an artist artist in-house, developing and training, this is something that I really experienced in a painful way. I was the only guy doing images for an architecture office, and I had nobody that could train me or explain me things, and I was a newbie in the industry. So how do you keep training? How do you keep developing yourself and your skills when working in-house? By default, it's difficult. It's very difficult. I remember my, by my time at Pixel Flakes, uh, we had Matthew Ray, no? who was the art director. He looked to the tutorials and to the stuff that we should learn. So you kind of, you just sit back and relax. He will find for you what you have to learn. But being in-house, you don't have nobody like that. So all the learning is on you. Also, the architects will not teach you anything. They, they don't know. Also, the question is when. No? What I do is... Sometimes in between projects, uh, there is like a, a buffer, no, like a few days. So I have a list. Let's say I, I am writing things that I want to learn and I look at work of other people. I go through the uh, YouTube or like, uh, for example, even your podcast. And I just write down what I should learn and what could I improve. And then when I have those buffer days, then I jump into it. And I will be at the office, sitting at the office without produce images, but I will be going through all this information and keep learning. Sometimes I do it at home as well, but just because it's, it's kind of my hobby as well. No? So let's say if I have a, a one evening that I have nothing to do, I will just read or practice something. Also very important, I want to tell this to young artists. At the beginning, you have to build your portfolio. So you will have to do images on your free time of, let's say, uh, conceptual projects that you have designed yourself or you have find on internet. So you have to develop your portfolio in order to have something to show. No? Otherwise, I don't know how can someone hire you if they cannot see your work. But when you already have a portfolio, I don't recommend doing images on your free time because then <laughs> you are overworking. You are overworking. You are doing your work plus an extra job. What I recommend is to do small images or even drafting and make sure that in every image that you do, you learn something, either a new plugin or a new technology or a new technique. And about the quality of the images, forget. It's not something that you need to show to anyone. But make sure that the small time that you have free, you use it in a productive way. Because if you do at your home, the same you do at your office, it's a matter of time until you get burned out. It's coming because you are repeating and repeating and repeating and that's what leads you to that hole. But when you keep learning, it's different. You keep evolving and you keep your motivation up as well. And then all that knowledge that you have gathered, you can throw into your in-house uh, job, no? So you see, it's a process of self-development. It's not that difficult. You have to keep up, but it's not that difficult. And you can continue and just continue almost forever because the, the software keep evolving and the technology so is never ending. I think it's a matter also of knowing and learning how to schedule your time. Especially in an architecture office, it's quite easy somehow to schedule your time. 
you have a structure that helps you in scheduling calendars and project sheets and whatsoever. But when you're a freelance, that's the tricky part. That's where you have to learn to schedule your time for research and development and try to carve some extra, you know, bits of time to learn new stuff. But yeah, I think I'm definitely 100% with you on this, especially on the personal project thing. That's something that I'm kind of uh, still debating in a way. Uh, you know, not because I don't agree with you, but I try to consider that some people could be refreshed by doing personal images in their own free time. Not necessarily architecture images, could be something else, still 3D art. But yeah, I get your point. For me, it's the same thing. But honestly, Fran, it's been a great conversation. You told me a lot of very interesting stuff. I'm pretty sure this is going to be one of the best conversations that we had on the podcast. Thank you very much. I, mean, <laughs> I, I could be talking forever. You know, I know, uh... I'm pretty sure of that. And there's, there's so many questions that I could ask you. I just want to keep this in a reasonable amount of time for people that are listening to us. So thank you for joining me. And I hope you to see you in person anytime soon. Yes, if you come to Copenhagen to visit any office of architecture or something, because you, you still do images at the big picture, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe one day I'll just do a tour of offices someday. Exactly. So I don't if, know. You visit, <laughs> if you visit Copenhagen, uh, you know, sometimes we get visits from ar visual artists that are coming to just meet the architects or whatever. If you come, you are more than welcome and I can show you around. Have a coffee. I'd be super happy. I've been in Copenhagen once and it was beautiful. It was when I used to work in Norse and I was ending my internship. I took the end part of my internship. We would take a trip to Copenhagen for one week. And I have, I have fond memories of Copenhagen. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So anytime, uh, Federico. Thank you for your time, Fran. Likewise. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed, please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcasting app. If you like this episode, help us growing and improving the show by rating and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Got a question or is there something you'd like me to cover in a future episode? Write me an email at podcast at bigpicturevisual.com. Thank you again for listening and see you next time.